Welcome to 10-Minute TechCom. This is Ryan Weber at the University of Alabama at Huntsville. As I record this on April 13, 2020, much of the U.S. and the world has been shut down due to the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. My guest today has been watching this situation unfold for several weeks. My name is Jacinta Bola. I'm a science journalist and a fact checker at ScienceLert. I write articles about all types of science topics, but I have a background in genetics and microbiology. So obviously right now we are doing lots of content on COVID-19. As well as that, I'm doing a podcast on, uh, it's called Lady Laureates, but it's about the female winners of the Nobel Prize. And I also do some freelancing on the side. So lots of different hats for me. <laughs> I invited Ms. Bowler on the podcast to talk with us about her work covering coronavirus for the Science Alert website. We'll talk about how to cover an uncertain situation where findings and scientific consensus are rapidly changing, and her process for explaining very complex concepts to a worldwide audience. I hope you enjoy the interview. Also, of course, stay safe, stay socially distant, wash your hands. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really glad you're joining us today from Australia. I appreciate you getting up early to talk with me about this. And I guess just to get started, you know, you have been writing about COVID-19 for several weeks now, as I see on Science Alert. How do you keep up with the latest developments in this as it's changing so quickly? Well, yeah, it is changing very, very quickly. This particular, like COVID-19 is really interesting in that there is just so much like preprint news out there and like peer-reviewed new like scientific papers and there's just so much new content coming out daily and so because of that I feel like it is there's a lot of stuff to cover and there's a lot of content to choose from but I don't necessarily think all of it is what the general public should be finding out about because sometimes it might be that it's so small that it could be wrong or it's very specific to scientists in the field. And so I feel like for me, it's just like it gets it's a lot personally because it's obviously a pandemic. It's a big deal. But there's also just a lot of stuff that comes with it as well. And it is interesting trying to find out who is like which is the right stuff to cover. And sometimes you get it wrong, too. We don't always get it right when it comes to what is the best thing to cover for Science Alert and Science Alert's audience. And so one of the things you alluded to there, there's all these, you know, because this is happening so fast and we need findings, a lot of stuff is coming out that hasn't been fully peer reviewed. And as an academic, I can say, I mean, peer review can take six months or a year. We don't have time for that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but now you're sort of like sorting through stuff that hasn't been maybe as carefully vetted as scientific findings usually are. Is that right? Yeah. And and you also find as well that because you can't do like in a lot of these kind of biology papers, you would, okay, you'd go here, we're going to have a hundred people get infected with this and we're going to see what happens. And you have that with influenza and other things because there's just such a low rate of people being sick, but you can't do that with this, obviously. <laughs> and you end up with like four people that have done this study. And so, you, you know, a lot at the moment we do see stuff where it's, oh, there's been eight people that they've sampled this for because there's just, there's not enough time, there's not enough resources and they're putting out papers with really, really small sample sizes. And then the next paper might completely contradict what the first paper has said. And so you just end up with this, yeah, very messy group of research. It's just hard. It's hard to to work it all out. But I think it's still important to talk about it and to get it out there because there is so much appetite right now and there's so much people are so scared about this, especially in the US and in Europe. And so it's it's very much like we need to be giving the best information out there. And sometimes it is good to give the, that information to, to people if it is something that we can clarify and go, look, we're telling you this, 
but you need to understand that it's a small sample size and next week it could be wrong. Like we don't know yet. Well, that's one of the big things about this that seems like a challenge to me is on the one hand, you've got a lot of uncertainty about this situation. You know, it's it's difficult to calculate, say, the fatality rate of this. Um, you've got these kind of papers that are reviewed in unique ways. And at the same time, you want to give clear information that, say, doesn't feed into conspiracy theories and that kind of thing. So how do you balance, like, the uncertainty of the situation with needing to provide people with clear, reliable information? That's a really good question. We actually stick clear of some topics entirely because not only so most of our team is from Australia, um, but we do have a very large audience in the US, which makes it really difficult to be able to write content that is applicable for everybody. And in a pandemic, especially in this kind of pandemic, you, you just can't write content that's applicable for everyone. Like we have been sticking clear of stories about masks, for example, because there's very little scientific consensus about it and there's no, and in different areas, there's different needs. Like in Australia, we have something like maybe 2000 cases. I, I can't remember the top of my head, but very few cases. So for us, it doesn't make sense for us to wear masks going to the shopping center because the number of people that have been sick in my area is something like eight, right? But in the US, that is obviously completely not the case when there's significantly more people that have, that have been sick and your chance of running into somebody that might have it is a lot higher. And so we have been, yeah, completely sticking clear of stories about that because there's just no consensus and we don't have the ability to say, here, this might help for you, but it probably won't help for you. That That's kind of too much nuance to be able to convey to like a worldwide readership that you've got. Yeah. And so we've been very like we've been able to talk about this, the studies that have come out and sort of say, hey, this is what we know. This could be a small sample size, but it might be important. But we're trying hard not to write about stories where someone might change their behavior dramatically because of something we've written about, because it could be wrong next week. <laughs> we just don't know yet. So you're trying to give the best information you can without sort of encouraging any kind of drastic lifestyle changes that aren't backed by hard data, really good data. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for us, especially like we need to be on all on the same page when it comes to this. Like I feel, feel like news organizations and um, health bodies that are trying to give information about this. So we are very specific when it comes to it. And we, at the end of most articles or during the article, we will say like um, the World Health Organization has said this, and this is the advice that you should be following. And when who update it, I would say that that means that you should follow their advice. And sometimes that's not always completely up to date. Like I did an article recently about whether the virus can be aerosolized and whether it can be airborne. And there's a lot of scientists can't agree. They, we don't know yet whether it is or not, but who has been very adamant that said they haven't found any cases of transmission via aerosolized particles, so really, really small particles. But we don't that might change. And so we've had to say, look, like here's what these scientists are saying. Some places have said yes, some places have said no, but who says this and you should listen to who? Okay, okay. So you're sort of like you're including the disagreement as part of the article, but sort of saying like defer to whose advice on this particular, their findings on this particular situation. Is that kind of the strategy there? Yeah. And I feel like if we don't do that, I feel like it really would be bedlam because there's just so many different people that have different ideas about this. And that's such a scientific thing, right? Like you will have people that have different opinions on a particular hypothesis and that's always going to happen in science. And so, but it, it's just a problem now, if it gets worse with 
people who kind of go off the rails or scientists that go off the rails and say, oh, this is a thing that's been manufactured in China or, you know, like it just... 5G is causing it. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 5G, where did that come from? Just like popped up a couple of days ago. (laughs) That kind of stuff, we really need to be like on the same page. And I feel like that goes all the way down to, you know, whether you should wear a mask. You have to defer to the the body that's, that's saying this because otherwise, yeah, we'll all just be running in the streets, like not listening to anybody. (laughs) Yeah, well, and you bring up something which, you know, science is controversial. I don't think that people outside of science always see that, that scientists disagree. They don't always have clear answers. People have you know, strong opinions supported by data on a lot of different sides, but that kind of runs smack into people's need for clear answers in this particular situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard, hey? And I mean, I... I get it because you do want and you, you do get the, you get those kind of arguments and people saying, well, the scientists don't know. So how are we supposed to know? And you go, well, they know more than you do, <laughs> even if they don't agree. And yeah, it's, it is a shame that maybe we haven't talked about that enough, that having a disagreement is a good thing because it means that we find the answer and people argue and people like um, show their cases and, and all science. That's really, really important. But yeah, it is when it comes to a pandemic and people are literally dying, you would want a bit more clarity on whether this is, but this is unprecedented. I know that everyone says that it's unprecedented, but it really is. Like we just don't, we are flying by the seat of our pants. We don't know. Like scientists are working it out and doing what they can, but we're all in this together. Sure. In general, we've talked a little bit about this, but what do you find to be kind of the hardest thing to communicate about this disease or kind of the thing that you struggle most to make clear? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, for me, so I do like a lot of different hats at Science Alert. I fact check stories. I write stories. I also check our Facebook comments, which I would not recommend anybody do. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's not a fun time in there. But you can write a story and you, you put it out there and you're really excited about it and you're like, you think you've made something really clear. And then people either don't read the, the article or do read the article or read it wrong. And so you come out and they're like, oh, but this is not right. Like, you're wrong. Here's the science. You go, no, like you've just misunderstood. And so I feel like once we've put the article out there, we can't really have a back and forth with our readers and go, oh, no, like, here, it's actually this. Like, here's the information. You found this wrong. Like, here's the right thing. And so I feel like maybe it is a bit more that we can give the information to people, but sometimes they're just not ready to to listen to it. But th- that being said, though, like, Facebook commenters are not the, the majority of our readers. We get millions of, of readers and very few of them comment on our Facebook Right. The most vocal, yeah, extreme people tend to to leave the comments. Yeah. And I, I like to think about it. It's like, I don't write comments on, on Facebook. Like who is writing comments on Facebook? These people are not probably the audience members that we're really looking out for. So yeah, that would probably be apart from obviously like trying to get the story out there for, for everybody and to get all of that across to a worldwide audience. I feel like that's probably the hardest is that once we put a story out there, we sometimes have to, you know, like update little typos and things like that. But things change. And so you end up with stories that people are looking at from months ago and they go, oh, this is wrong. And you're like, actually, that is wrong now because there's all this other research. But here's five other articles we've done recently that talk about the thing that you want to talk about. You've just picked the one that's now dated. So the article, once it's done, it kind of, what you're saying is it kind of has to stand on its own. 
And that can be a hard thing for a piece to do with an audience. Is that? Yeah, I I feel like it's more just because everything's changing so rapidly now. Like one of our writers, Mike, has actually been really good at doing like topic pages. So he's done one for COVID-19. He's done one for coronavirus, like all of these different topic pages. So you can Google them and it'll come up. And we've been trying to work out how we best update those topic pages. Because even stuff that we've written a couple of weeks ago is now like it might need to be amended or updated. And for that, we find it really important that we do keep it updated so that people can go to the website and go, yep, here's the information that I need to know. But we just don't have the resources to update every piece that we've we've written on COVID-19. Like, you know, there's hundreds of them. Right. Well, you just can't go back and, and fix everything over and over. You'd never get new stuff written. Yeah. And so having that ability to go, okay, here's the information that you need. Go to the WHO, find the most direct information and the newest information, and we'll keep writing stories to give you new information when it comes out. Can we talk a little bit about kind of your writing process more generally as far as when you're working on one of these articles, be it about COVID-19 or, or something else, what's your process for from, you know, sort of developing an idea to seeing that final piece end up on the page? With our stories, I will get uh, assigned a story. So usually it'll be, you know, there'll be new information from a preprint or especially with COVID-19, it'll be a preprint or it'll be a new article that's come out that hasn't been peer reviewed, but we see it and we go, I feel that this is important to tell our readers about. So I'll get assigned it. The first thing I do is I read the paper. I'll find the paper and I read it because I feel like if we don't do that, you, you get a lot of reporting, um, which is either a rewrite of a press release or just very like surface level science, which is fine in some situations, but I feel like it it really is important to delve into an article itself, to a paper itself and find out, you know, what bits are important, what the sample size was, whether there's any problems that you might need to arise. Like, and, and then once you've done that, you can kind of look into other papers in the area because sometimes you'll you'll find a paper that completely disagrees with everything else in the field and you go oh, okay maybe not like <laughs> and then once that's done I start writing and the writing process for me actually doesn't take too long I know some of the other writers have produced beautiful copy and it takes them half a day to write it but once I've actually started writing it probably doesn't take me very long because it's kind of all in all in the head already and then once it gets written I send it to my editor and I am terrible with grammar and spelling so she is a saint and fixes all of my thens to thans and all <laughs> and all of the the stuff that I really should have picked up and then it gets fact checked so I am a fact checker so I fact check most of the stories on the site and then another fact checker Tessa also does, she does my stories and other stories as well. And then once it's been checked and made sure that all the numbers are correct and all the details are correct, usually it'll get published for overnight or overnight in Australia. So that'll be during the day for you guys. Okay. Okay. And the fact checking, does that go back to the original paper itself usually? Yes. Yeah. Fact checking is my favorite thing. I kind of think of it like a like a goalie in a soccer game. Like you're just trying to find all of the... So you go through it again and you go, okay, like each individual piece of information, whether that's a number or a person's name or a statement that somebody said in the piece, you go through it and you, you try and find sources for that in the paper or if it's not in the paper if it's like a a source that you you go oh I don't know if like the paper said this but it's talked about this paper so you might go quite deep and try and find out where the source came from and yeah you just you go through it and you just you comb through it basically and make sure that that it's airtight and sometimes you do miss stuff like I feel like we all miss stuff sometimes but we're really lucky at Science Love that we have the ability to do that a lot of places don't and so I feel like 
I'm sure they get more emails from scientists than us saying, oh, actually, you messed this up. Can you fix it, please? You know, as you're right, you say that it, it happens pretty quickly. Do you have any strategies for kind of making really complicated information from these papers you know, as clear as possible for a wider readership? Yeah. So I guess it depends on what it is. One of the girls that works with us, Michelle Starr, is an incredible space writer and she can take the densest space stories like about new exoplanet findings or, you know, just like insane stuff and just pop it into this beautifully written article that anyone could read like up like from a 10-year-old onwards. Like it's, it's incredible the way she does it. I think for me, I'm pretty... I think that I try quite hard to not give words that people don't understand. Or if you do, you have to be really specific about why you're using the word. So, for example, let's say like a, just a scientific, maybe we'll talk about like the proteome or something, right? So, um, which is a genome for proteins. But then also, if you don't know what genome is, that's so you get further and further into this weird scientific language. But if you're able to use words that are slightly different to that, but still get the point across, I feel like it's that's I'm sure the scientists probably don't appreciate that they're like no no, it's a proteome but I feel like it's more important if somebody walks away with the gist of what the paper is said rather than the exact thing that maybe they don't understand and so for me yeah I do a lot of like I'm like okay what what could we make can we make this an analogy can we change this into something that's slightly different but most of the time I feel like if you write you know you go okay well they've used this many people and they've done this particular experiment and that involves this machine which maybe you don't understand what the machine is but you understand they've done something with the machine and then they found this result and I don't think you have to make that super complicated I've been doing this for the last like five years. So I, I guess that you get, it gets easier to write and to change this stuff. But if you break down the elements of what a scientific paper is and you break down the elements of what a scientific art, like what our articles are, they follow the same formula. You know, someone's found this thing. Here's what they did. Here's what they found in detail. Here's where you can find more information. <laughs> yeah, it really is, you know, it maps onto those sections of the typical science paper. Here's what we did. Here's what we found. Here's why someone should care approach. So you're just kind of taking that and recasting it for a larger audience. Yeah. Yeah. And making it interesting as well. I feel like the big thing is that if you don't write an article that people aren't interested in, they're not going to read it and then you've wasted all your time. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for talking about this. And uh, we appreciate your work covering this unfolding situation. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 